Welcome to Muffly Auto, a Harry Potter podcast where we fill your ears to prevent you from hearing nearby conversations. I'm Josh. And I'm Blake, and today Josh and I begin the beginning at the middle of the end as we continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and come now to the 37th and last chapter, The Beginning. Uh, so a little cryptic one to uh, to start uh, your day off of there. So our listeners might want to be uh, puzzling through that to uh, see what I mean there. But otherwise, this chapter, the very last chapter in the Goblet of Fire, is uh, is quite lovely. Uh, resolves uh, a lot of questions as well as gives a nice ending, uh, a nice speech from Dumbledore uh, in honor of Cedric Diggory. So it's uh, it's quite a, a nice chapter to finish with. Yeah, this is a nice chapter, and it it really does um, give us. Uh, I guess um, it it gives us a, almost a, a little bit of uh, a calmness after some some pretty intense chapters, right? Um, if if we kind of just had the last chapter um, of of the book be, I don't know the 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 previous one with it with a small explanation, mm. and then all of a sudden Harry's right into the Dementors with with Dudley. You know, it would have yes. been <laughs> would have. Been a bit, uh, a bit emotionally rough, but maybe we we get a little bit of a, a letdown here, so that we're not constantly on edge. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right that uh, there's a little bit of rest in this chapter, so we can kind of process uh, a lot of things at the uh, at the end, as well as you know a lot of resolutions that Rowling had to make without kind of like throwing them in that last chapter. I think that would have been a little bit overwhelming. Uh, that chapter would have been extra long and kind of would have had information that didn't necessarily need to be there. You know, she she carefully, you know, had Hermione, uh, you know, catch, say, Rita Skeeter in the hospital, but it wasn't mentioned then and there. You know, there's bits and pieces that she's like, I'll save this. This will be the last chapter. And, you know, we get answers about Ludo Bagman and things like that, uh, that um, you didn't really need to be uh, in the uh, that last chapter to make it kind of a bit too cluttered. So I, I think, you know, this is a little bit of a, uh, a last chapter to kind of have a little breathe out and uh, realize that we're finishing off this book and, uh, you know, this uh, the second wizarding war is uh, is upon us as uh, as we enter the next book. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And one of the things, Blake, I, I realized not too long after we finished recording was that we forgot to mention anything in foreshadowing about Hermione's capture of Rita Skeeter. Um, yes, that, you know, yeah. that happens at the end of the chapter when she slams the door uh, shut and then uh, <laughs> Oops, awkwardly sorry. apologizes to Harry and leaves. Right? <laughs> yeah, it captures captures Rita Skeeter, uh, which is uh, is really nice how it's just placed right in there. And uh, uh, one of one of the things interesting uh, about that before you know we I guess we get into the chip summary, but just thinking about the sort of stories that by being there on that windowsill, the sort of stories that she would have access to and uh, and be able to use like you know think about you know the dementors kissing buddy crouch that gets revealed there the birth of lord voldemort or the claim you know of the birth of lord voldemort which i'm assuming the article would be about from rita skeeter's point of view um you know the uh i don't know cornelius uh, fudge and dumbledore's sort of parting of the ways and um and even severus snape's reveal of his dark mark um as well as uh dumbledore colluding behind the minister's back and organizing the return of the order of the phoenix like if if uh hermione hadn't have captured rita skeeter there that would be pretty uh devastating i think um that would be pretty bad dumbledore would not have been a happy wizard yeah yeah i i must confess like i don't know if i've ever thought about it in those terms um that um uh, about the direct issues that 
that Rita prevented. I, I always, you know, thought about uh, the, the graveyard scene, but but mm. what about all those other things that happen in the hospital room? That's a great point. I I never thought about that. But yeah, so it's um you know Rita Skeeter's uh, conniving that way, and I feel like she would have her next you know five headline stories um scheduled for you know uh, two weeks apart or something. Uh, she'd be famous. Well, she probably already is famous in the ministry uh, for for good and bad. But uh, yeah, and so let's get into this chapter, and we'll uh, we'll see what happens. While still in the hospital, Harry receives a visit from Cedric's parents. Mister and Missus Diggory remain grateful that Harry returned their son's body and refused to take any of his tournament winnings for themselves. When Harry leaves the hospital wing, he is relieved to know that Dumbledore has told the school not to discuss any of the events that have taken place with him. Even Ron and Hermione listen to this warning. The trio visit Hagrid and hear about his upcoming mission with Madame Maxime, but for once, Hagrid manages to keep the rest a secret. Unlike other years, the leaving feast is a sad occasion. Dumbledore addresses the entire school with a toast to Cedric's memory and tells the student body how he died. He then addresses the international students, reminding them about the purpose for the Triwizard Tournament and the renewed importance of magical cooperation in times such as these. Upon the Hogwarts Express, Harry finally shares what happened in the graveyard with Ron and Hermione. He also confesses that he is surprised that he hasn't seen any of these events in recent editions of the Daily Prophet. It is Hermione's turn to reveal a secret. Rita Skeeter is an unregistered animagus, and she has trapped her in a magically sealed jar. She plans to release her in London on the condition that she will not write for a whole year. If she breaks this deal, Hermione will reveal her status to the Ministry. The last secret to be shared belongs to the twins. They reveal their secret meetings and blackmail-like discussions have been about Ludo Bagman and his fraudulent betting back at the Quidditch World Cup. The twins lost all their savings and received back leprechaun gold as winnings, which soon disappeared. Ultimately, they are able to laugh at Ludo's situation as he finds himself in trouble with several people, including goblins, for his bad gambling deals. At King's Cross Station, Harry pulls Fred and George aside and tells them that he is giving them the tournament winnings so that they can open a joke shop. His only condition is that they must buy Ron a new pair of dress robes. Harry says his goodbyes and returns for another summer at the Dursleys. Now, I'm coming back to Hermione and Rita Skeeter uh, just, just for a moment in that I really think you know, if Dumbledore found out about how Hermione, you know, sort of worked this out, did this captured Redisketa and said these things, surely Dumbledore would just be like, uh, you know, there's, there's got to be like a handshake there or some kind of special award that goes to Hermione because uh, we know that Dumbledore does not like uh, Rita Skeeter's kind of uh, nosiness and articles that uh, she's been uh, been running. So uh, I just like to, you know, how great would it be for uh, Dumbledore to sort of give a nice little sort of wink or a nod to, to to Hermione when he finds out I just feel like that would be quite uh, uh, quite the special moment but uh, yeah so we look at uh, Rita Skeeter being released you know by Hermione and it's just interesting that you know that uh, uh, you know re- revealing of information that Hermione's threatening her with with the uh, I'll tell everybody that you're uh, you know an NMAGI like that must be a pretty big threat that there must be you know probably criminal charges that would come along with that like I just I wonder if like Rita Skeeter ever thought like she could somehow delete the documents and, you know, somehow kind of just say it's my word against yours, Hermione, you know, and, uh, but it mm. somehow seems to work. And uh, um, she's, you know, she feels pretty threatened by uh, that truth coming out, which is kind of the basis of her career. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is really interesting. And I think that might be, um, that might be, almost more of the issue is or or at least a significant portion maybe half and half is that 
you know, this would seriously damage her career moving forward. Yes. Um, even, even if it was a slap on the wrist from the ministry, I think it's probably a both, both and situation, the, the public scrutiny and then the, the private effect of the, of the dollar signs as well. Um, but, but Blake, I think this is an interesting chapter because we just see a lot of kind of really shady dealings, even, even if they're by the quote unquote good guys in this <laughs> chapter, um, it's, it's an interesting look for her money, you know, I, I, I don't want to call it abduction with a capital A, but, um, you know, it's it's certainly on that spectrum. Yes. Yeah. Putting someone in a shatterproof jar, um, like, are there holes in the top of this jar? Like, you know, do, is there some fresh? Well, it, it, it mentioned that there was it mentioned that there was, you know, a little bit of uh, some some decorative um, terrarium like yeah. features, <laughs> like a stick and a leaf. So I don't know. I assume there are, are breathing holes. Oh, I love that. Eh? It's like, you know, she she did, you know, rather than just trapping Ryuskita in a jar, she went a little extra to, you know, put in some natural habitat stuff going yeah. on so that uh, Ryuskita could feel nice at home uh, in, in sort of, you know, a bit of a terrarium. So interesting uh, there. But yeah, what other kind of, I guess, yeah, black blackmail are we sort of seeing or what's being yeah. revealed here? Well, this was a bit of a joke theme, the the, the idea about blackmail, because we, we see Hermione um, kind of blackmailing Rita Skeeter, you know, saying, I'm yes. going to tell your secret if you, uh, if you oh, write that's straight up blackmail. Next year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is straight up blackmail. But I mean, I guess it does expire. It's, so so it's, that's it's good. It's lighter blackmail. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's like yeah, blackmail. It's like kind of like light. charcoal mail. Gosh. <laughs> gray gray mail let's call it gray, gray mail. mail i think Char- mail. yeah chuckle mail oh, so so there's that and then the, you know we also see the twins uh, revealing their their blackmailing yes. situation uh, as well as as little bagman who is you know found out to be quite the quite the shady player and so perhaps a, a not so creative but nonetheless unifying theme of this chapter would be secrets um because yes. You know, we find out about Ludo and and his secret dealings. We find out about Rita, what Hermione had been doing, what the twins had been doing. Um, the school finds out about Harry and Cedric. Um, the uh, the trio find out about Hagrid, uh, mm. and although Hagrid keeps a secret for once. Um, and it really does <laughs> set the stage for a very secretive last three books uh, to come. Yeah, well, well, we couldn't. You know, we couldn't really choose beginnings as the key theme for this chapter. I think that would have been a little too on the nose, right? Uh, with the uh, the chapter being called the beginning, uh, so I think uh, I think blackmail slash secrets. I think that's pretty pretty good. We do see that kind of throughout the uh, the chapter. Looking at character development, uh, and uh, I just wanted to to you know talk about Dumbledore, and you know we know that Dumbledore's speeches are kind of they're they're quite. They're gold, you know, and uh, he usually has one here and there throughout the books. Um, and this one's probably one of his most important ones, I'd say. It's a real kind of turning point um, in addressing the school uh, because he knows that if Voldemort is back, the school is going to change slightly. You know, there is going to be a shift whether people believe Voldemort's back or not. But I just want to read the uh, the part of the speech that I'm kind of referring to here. And it's, it's that uh, Dumbledore says, remember Cedric. Remember if the time should come when you have to make a choice between what is right and what is easy. Remember what happened to a boy who was good and kind and brave because he strayed across the path of Lord Voldemort. Remember Cedric Diggory. And so it's just this kind of call to, uh, you know, to not take the easy road. 
you know, to not go along with what is evil in this world. But, you know, think of Cedric, who sort of stood uh, for for good, who was this sort of very uh, brave, kind, uh, wonderful Hufflepuff. And, uh, and you know, his life was snuffed out by by Lord Voldemort. And so that we really need to kind of stand against the evil. And so I, I just thought, you know, Dumbledore's speech here was just, you know, he... If he writes these speeches himself rather than having some kind of, uh, you know, sp- a speech writer as a, you know, on, oh, his, uh, on his, um, you know, his, uh, as one of his employees, I'm, I'm pretty impressed by Dumbledore here. He does have a wonderful way with words. I just am really enjoying that visual thought of, of Dumbledore having a speechwriter. That's amazing. <laughs> he's like a he's like a presidential candidate with his speechwriters working nonstop. How hilarious would that be? And the speechwriter's like, you've got to be joking. I've got my speech already written, and now the Chamber of Secrets um, is yes. finally shut down. Um, yeah. You know, it, it would be such a stressful job because he'd have to work without a doubt all night that last night before the feast. Mm-hmm. Oh, he he'd be playing catch up. He'd, he'd be like out with the old, you know, quickly. Let's let's rewrite something. And uh, and Dumbledore's an eccentric man, you know. So so mm. sorry, sir. What am I writing? I'm I'm writing three random random words, and we're just saying random words, uh, and then telling them to go to bed. Is that is that what we're doing? Yeah, yes. You know, that's that's all I'm saying in this speech. And you're like, okay, interesting. So uh, uh, or 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 the or the speechwriter wrote what he thought was a really great speech, and then Dumbledore just tears it up and says three words, and he's like, you've got to be joking. All that work. <laughs> I'm seeing. I'm seeing the speechwriter in like the corner of the great hall, you know. And as yeah. Dumbledore gets up, he starts mouthing, you know, um, the speech word for word, you know, like whatever Dumbledore says in that moment, you know, "Good evening" um, or something like that. And then all he's, you know, he he starts to continue on, but he doesn't go along with the script. And all he says is just like, "Well, I've just got three words for you, you know, whiz bang, whatever, yeah. he, you know, whatever yeah. he says, you know, good night." And the speechwriter's just left there as all the, you know, all the the students are being dismissed being like what like uh so anyway there we go we've just created a new uh role um you know we don't have much world building in this chapter but maybe we could just sort of jam jam a, a bit of world building in there thinking hey maybe there's a speechwriter uh, in the background and uh dumbledore you know is getting a lot of help but uh if, i mean either way these speeches are, are pretty great yeah, they are pretty great, and and I enjoy, I enjoyed that rabbit trail. Even if the listeners uh, were like, <laughs> "Where are these two going?" <laughs> yeah, uh, that was great. That one was for us listeners, so so thank you. Um, <laughs> like speaking of Dumbledore's speech, I, I really enjoyed how he how he uh, you know kind of addressed the different groups in the room, and nice. and I enjoyed seeing the uh, the the Karkaroff less. Um, yeah. Durmstrang students and, and and a neat side of Victor Crumb. You know, we see a bit of a tender side of, of him in this chapter. Um, and, and I think this is foreshadowing of of the fact that um, while he attends Durmstrang, he is not a, a dark wizard. Um, no. You know, and, and he's so offended by that Grindelwald mark or so he thinks later on in, in Deathly Hallows. Yes, yeah, and uh, you know, as Dumbledore said, he's he's offering that castle as a sort of a safe haven for all that are in there, mm. and you know, he's showing that uh, that Dumbledore level of trust, um, opening opening things up, and um, you know, talking about magical cooperation um and you know uniting together and then you know he drops the this you know either take the 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 right road or the the way that is easy and you know hopefully that's convicting to a lot of people because you've got to think you know yes Durmstrang has a reputation some of those students there like you know they might have families mom and dad that are easy swayed Mm. to the dark side so it's it's like you know that that speech could go a long way to maybe 
helping them in their own personal decision whether to to fight for good and uh, maybe the hard way rather than the easy way and just going along with uh, what is uh, uh, what is evil uh, in the world. So interesting one there, but you know that's offered to um, the Beaubassin as well and all all uh, those students. And so you know you really do think that is what Dumbledore's about: magical cooperation and bringing people together and being united. Um, I think is a is is quite a strong thing that Dumbledore would like for the Wizarding World to be because only united can you know they face Voldemort in a from a strong front. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and Dumbledore always has such a great vision of I guess the the wider Wizarding community and wider world. He he is not so insular as as many witches and wizards are. You know, it's it's one of those things where I think a lot of wizards and witches um, not only think about magical people only even if they're not death eaters and not slytherins mm. but they kind of prioritize that but they certainly think about mag- the, the magical community within england or within britain like it's it's such a uh, inward looking community and dumbledore knows how important it's going to be to have you know the, the world concerned about voldemort if if things should go on very long yeah and 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 it's hard you know to find people i think willing to make a stand like you know the order of the phoenix was not like a giant army last time Mm. nor is it a giant army this time you know it's some key players that are dedicated and willing to you know commit um and decide yeah um, you know i'm standing against voldemort that's right like you have kind of the general dumbledore and then his second in command arabella fig and and those two are near (laughs) equals in terms of power lord voldemort's worries (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Arabella Fig is just in the in the background, and you know, and and Voldemort is looking at them both, being like, "Wow, he keeps her so close." Like, man, she must be a powerful witch. Like, you know, and just oh, I don't want to, I don't want to mess with him. He keeps her so and, close, and you just and you just see uh, you see Arabella Fig lead out. You know, the, the on the Battle of Hogwarts. You know, this might have been an original uh, sort of in the original scene or something uh, that Rowling was writing, but Fig is just walking out uh you know as as Voldemort is there on his evil front line and uh, we've got you know the good side and then Arabella Fig just stands up on sort of a bit of rubble and and yells charge and then they all just they all just <laughs> go into battle so maybe that was an alternative scene um you know if yeah. uh, if someone wants to write a letter to uh, to Rowling and ask that question uh, they they definitely can um but maybe she dial back uh, uh, dial back uh, Fig's role to just purely kind of uh, <laughs> babysitter neighbor yeah, uh, yeah. status. I so. I don't know about you, Blake, but I'm not much for um, I'm not one who's much for fan fiction. Um, I I would love to I would love to see this turned into a bit of a fan fiction if uh, if you or anyone else would love to um, turn Arabella Fig from minor character who bizarrely is mentioned at the end of Goblet of Fire to major character who's the secret weapon that we not quite sure what she does I think I think we might need to add that to the list of bonus episodes and it is to find you know maybe a a great uh, a, a great fan fiction story or the top three funny fan fiction story ideas or alternative you know timelines or alternative histories yes uh, to to what could have happened here and uh and see if um yeah see if uh if that produces uh something quite fun and so uh maybe we need to add that one to the uh the old list of the bonus that sounds good 
That's but um, when when talking about Rita Skeeter, I just want to mention one other thing. Obviously, you know, we find out she is, you know, the unregistered Animagus. But the um, the one thing that I thought was quite cool was, you know, she turns into a beetle and then she has marks around uh, her eyes, the beetle's eyes that look like Rita Skeeter's glasses. Um, and I do find that quite fascinating of uh, a part of maybe the spell uh, that, you know, or the, you know, how we, yeah, that whole process and turning yourself and becoming an animagi like how it takes that sort of feature you know like for me i wear glasses so yeah would it put little glasses around whatever animal i turn into or uh, you know what other kind of marks are out there like i'm just wondering you know it seems like sirius didn't really have a mark uh and so mm. you know maybe it just made it slightly more identifiable that uh, Rita did yeah I, I was struck by this as well i think this is really interesting and, and kind of the I'd say one of the more important world building parts of, of this chapter is, is that we find out this little insight into how, how animagus um, transformation works and, and how animagi can be identified in part by, by like something as small as an accessory. Um, and, you know, are, are we left to, to think that these are particularly special glasses, you know, that she would never have a second pair because, Maybe, maybe she should really look into that if she wants to do more snooping is, you know, yeah. forcing people to, to not be able to recognize her, uh, her, her by her glasses. Yeah, yeah. I, it's an interesting thing because glasses are such an external object mm. that you can remove from your face. Yet it becomes part of who you are, you know, and so it's it's part of this this beetle. So maybe a little broken there in the sense that I, um, you know, I don't think McGonagall has uh markings um unless i'm mistaken there like she has glasses um, just gonna look that up like i yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if we have uh professor mcgonagall who has glasses um you know thin uh spectacles or thin glasses or whatever whatever the uh the books have described it's probably thin to to make her eyes and squinting and mouth pursed even more sort of menacing when uh the, the students are up to trouble but yeah i do wonder okay about I've, that. I've got it all right, got perfect. It. I was trying to talk as long as I could, Josh, to hold, yeah. you know, because I yeah, knew yeah. So in <laughs> in in the book, she's described as a tabby cat with square spectacle markings around her eyes, um, okay. and, and it seems as hmm. though that distinctive marker is actually logged in the um, in in the Ministry of Magic's handbook in the Animagus uh, registry, um, and so I wonder if there is some kind of like. I don't know, uh, a a locked in appearance in your Animagus transformation form. Yes. Um, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, the, there's got to be something there that we're not quite sure about. I don't see much talk about markings, I, I don't think, from the, uh, the, the, the four marauders, except, you know, we've obviously got a missing finger from uh, Peter Pettigrew when he turns into a rat. But I mean, you know, what else is there? We don't really see too mm. much, um, you know, from those uh, three uh, that turned into it. Obviously, a werewolf would be a werewolf. We're not talking about that. But, but well, um, maybe, you know, it's, maybe, yeah. uh, like, just to go back to Sirius for a moment, um, he's he's so often described as shaggy looking in yeah. in both dog and human form. You know, that might be it. Like right from the beginning, maybe. not just a post Azkaban Sirius, but when he's a student, he's always got shaggy hair. Yeah, so it could be shag oh. the shagginess, and that's that's yeah. his identifier. So interesting. So a little bit of world building for you there. Just some thoughts around, hey, what would uh, I mean? My markings, I'd probably have glasses, uh, or uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, 
not really too sure what other sort of it's not that massive there. hippogriff tattoo on your chest is it no no it's the it's the pigby puff um on my lower <laughs> back uh <laughs> that's right you're a, you're a ron weasley supporter when it comes to that so <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I, I do love that i do love it uh because the pigmy puff on the lower back i think is is that when harry and Hermione, uh no harry and Ginny are, are dating or something like that that's right and yeah and someone was asking about it and then Ginny's like no you know i told i told her it was a or it was a hippogriff you know much, much more macho or something like that and uh, yeah just, i cracked up at that line i thought that was i thought that was great but anyway character development we see uh, ludo bagman he uh we we get this answer and it's not that he is an evil wizard even though in parts of this book he was made out to be a, a bit of the sort of like oh ludo bagman could be the one pulling some strings here because he's you know really trying to get harry to win um and we might have connected that and then in this chapter it's like nope just uh just in trouble with goblins just borrowed lots of money and uh you know a bit of a compulsive gambler and uh and now he's sort of reaping the, those rewards yeah it is interesting to um have <laughs> have kind of our, our worst suspicions about ludo bagman assuaged you know nothing's really going on yeah. uh, but at the same time, um, so some pretty terrible things come out about, you know, his uh, obsessive gambling. I clearly need some help um, yes. as well as uh, he's, he seems to be in a bit of trouble with the goblins who don't seem to be the kind of people you want to cross when it comes to leprechaun gold and real gold. No, no. And they're so literal as well, you know, like just the way that, you know, he said that Harry would win. And so that mm, means winning mm. outright, you know, and they, they play as dirty as, as Bagman does, as it's uh, as said there in the chapter. So interesting there that we get a little bit of insight to the goblins and uh, that they are probably not one to borrow money off and being careful of. And it maybe kind of sets the stage a little bit when we deal a little bit more with goblins in the, uh, the last book and how particular they are about promising items, promising certain things to, you know, like mm. there's, there's a level of of carefulness that needs to be had around goblins and making deals with so we've got to be uh conscious of that and maybe this sets the stage a little bit for when we we get goblins in that seventh book and uh, have to deal with uh, uh all of that so uh the only last thing that maybe i'd mention it comes to mind for for me in this uh, scene and this chapter is uh, is harry potter offering to give the triwizard winnings to the diggeries you know he sees that this money is sort of like blood money like he he doesn't want anything to do with it and you know he's just trying to hand it off to people you know the the weasleys for starters and then now you know to the diggeries he wants to give it back to them and and they don't want anything of it too you know that's that would just they seem that that would be wrong and they see you know harry just to to continue having it but harry doesn't harry doesn't want it which leads to a pretty nice moment between him and the uh the the weasley twins that's right harry becomes the uh the first major financier or first major investor in the series um and and gives a thousand galleons which i think if wow. we remember correctly so we're looking at five uh, british pounds on uh, on an official exchange however i think we have talked about in the past that like the items they buy with it you're saying that five yeah, to one I'm might be fine. a little five low. To one. Just yeah, I think that's like the the official um, number that was once given in like the back of a uh, um, of a Harry Potter book or uh, like in, in one certain in in one publishing or something like that. Yeah. It, was, it was published somewhere official, so it's kind of like the now the standard standard Jeez. rate. You're saying five thousand. This is five thousand pounds and five thousand uh, pounds. Which is which is you know that's that's a lot of money still. You know, there's a lot of money when you're 17. It, it definitely would not have got a 
I'm not sure how much it would have supplied them after leaving Hogwarts, but it seems like they're able to make quite a bit of money from their last two years at Hogwarts. And then, um, and then perhaps they use those money, they use that money to be able to like afford a a shop in in Diagon Alley. Um, Yeah. Or yeah, I'm not quite sure, but it's, you know, it's a lot of money to get started. Um, It's also not enough money to like never work again. Um, No. So it's definitely, definitely some seed money here. Harry is, Harry's kind of like, um, I don't, I don't know if you know if 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 you've ever seen the show Dragons Den. I'm I'm wondering if maybe in the in the Wizarding World if they have like instead of you know instead of Dragons Den because it's a little bit too like real for them. They they call it like Pig's Pen or something like that. Or Norbit's um, Den. Norbit's Den. That's right. And Norbit's one of the hosts. Um, and, and so I don't I don't know like but but which um which which Dragons Den or Shark Tank uh, investor do you think Harry is most like? Ooh, I mean. Let, let, let's be honest i i kind of think that now we are we also looking at dragon's den which is obviously the uk version and then and then shark's tank uh shark tank uh which is e- either the, or the, yeah okay yeah. so because i i know in my head in my mind uh, i kind of feel like harry is a bit of uh in the dragon's den uh theo um i believe he was um one of the the uk uh hosts there um uh theo sort of sort of you know nice and and i feel like he was fairly nice he wasn't sort of ruthless um and then you know when looking at uh when looking at shark tank i kind of think he's mark cuban i don't know you know I just okay like... okay he's, he's got the dark hair <laughs> i just kind of feel like mark's pretty nice like he's not he, I, I guess he can be they all can be brutal they're investors you know so they have to ask the tough yeah. questions i don't really uh, attribute harry to be like that but it is interesting you know a, a wizarding uh dragon's den and i wonder if imagine if like you know hagrid was the host and he came on and he's like wait i I, I thought there were going to be dragons here. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's, why, that's why I showed up. But um, yeah, Dragon's Den for the Wizarding World, that would be interesting. So it's like, like Harry, it's a- Harry, I haven't got any money. I was bringing the dragons. <laughs> I, just, I just like that. Like, you know, let, let's be honest. This this would be a great spinoff show for uh, for the Wizarding World. And uh, they definitely should do it. But um when when we look at this thousand dollar Kickstarter, you know, fund for them, you know, whilst yes, they they will make a lot more money than this when they get started. You know, this really is an investment into their future because they have drained, you know, a, a fair bit of their money, uh, and and so you know, this is kind of like such a a wonderful thing that Harry's doing for them, and it's it's almost sentiment as well as the the physical money yeah, that they're remembering definitely. here. So you know, when Harry comes back, it's like no, Harry, you know, we remember what you did. You can take whatever you like, you know, and it's like this, this level of like, even, you know, even if he takes more than a thousand galleons worth, which would be ridiculous, but, you know, they would be okay with that because it's really that money that enabled them to get started so quickly um, and, you know, allow them to leave school and get premise uh, premises um, and uh, go from there. So uh, a wonderful thing that Harry's done here. Um, and we've, we've spoken a little bit about world building Josh, um, you know, and there's, there's not much else apart from what we've mentioned. And, and I kind of want to just, you know, talk, talk very briefly, but just about the last line. Um, and maybe this could be put under sort of the idea of literary devices, you know, uh, a last line in a book, what you're leaving the reader with. And I just love this one particularly. And there, there could be maybe a, a bonus episode where we talk about the first and last lines of of, uh, of the series. But I really love this. It has a really nice kind of, you know, poetic end to it. But uh, as Hagrid had said, uh, the, the, the last line says, as Hagrid has had said, what would come would come and he would have to meet it when it did. 
So it's this very sort of definitive finish uh, to kind of the middle book in the series as as a bit of a turning point happens as uh, now Harry has to face, uh, you know, dark wizards. He has to face uh, evil. He has to face Lord Voldemort. Yeah, no, that's a great, great comment, Blake, and a great line. Um, and and for the readers, um, that you know, going back to your uh, original comment, I feel like we've we've let them wait long enough if they haven't figured it out. This is the middle book of the series. It is also <laughs> nearly the middle, the middle chapter of of the series. Um, so yeah. so obviously four out of seven is is the middle book. The whole book is the middle. Um, but the end of book four is very close to the middle, although not yet quite, um, because of how long the last. Uh, three books are so um we we are nearly in the middle um and and it is wonderful to uh have journeyed thus far with you um and and to say goodbye to harry in uh in the fourth book um and and just one more thing blake i think that you know talking about literary devices um just to also mention the 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 chapter name here um that it is such a, a fun play on on the on the word beginning um, mm. you know, for, for it to come at the end, right? Um, for for the last chapter to be called Beginnings, we, we know yes. that, you know, as much as the first three books carried over from one book to the next, what the themes were and who the people were, um, they were in a way kind of three standalone stories. Yeah. You know, you never had Quirrell coming back. And the Basilisk was truly dead and and had um had been gone. Um and and then the third book, maybe a little bit more um continuity carryover. But but this is showing us that this is gonna be a, a kind of um three book epic um a fi- a finish to the series, right? Mm, it's not gonna be yeah. like three distinct things. It's it's the beginning of the rest. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. Um, you know, we we are actually opening this up to be kind of like a. Uh, I know this whole, you know, this is a whole seven book series. Um, but it's almost like it is divided up, as you've said, and to kind of you know more one off stories. You know that yes, they obviously carry through in a lot of ways, but uh, the overall plots can kind of come to a nice nice you know finish and the bow's been tied and it looks all you know perfect whereas these books now open things up to being like we have to continue on we have to read there's no final Mm. resolution because Voldemort is alive like you know things won't be resolved in this story or the wizarding world until Voldemort is uh, is dead and um, you know and we hopefully see Harry come out alive Uh, and so that is going to be our final resolution of this whole series now that Voldemort has uh, you know uh, risen from uh, kind of the dead he has now put a ticking clock uh, onto the whole history uh, and uh, and things need to happen otherwise he'll take over and uh, and so that's kind of where we leave it so very significant of what this book marks and uh, and this last chapter as well as you've said um, a little fun that it's called the beginning uh, because it really is kind of beginning a lot of things um, but we really started that beginning as soon as Voldemort got his body back there was a sort of a clock uh, and it's counting down uh, and so we've got to kind of prepare be ready um, but as the, uh, the last chapter uh, as the last line says what would come would come and well we'll just have to face it 
and we'll have to meet it when it does. Uh, and so very wonderful book. Um, I'm glad we're kind of towards the, uh, you know, obviously the the big middle of the series in a way, but we're at the end of this book, uh, quite a large one, our first very large book. And um, I think it's uh, it's it's pretty great. And uh, we get to look at the movie next uh, uh, next uh, week. Yeah. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So looking into sort of key details about the movie, uh, the adaption, because unlike the very first movie, that book was very straight book to movie. You know, it was a great adaption, um, kind of almost scene for scene. Whereas this, we, we're going to have to cut quite a lot of stuff, and so we're going to mm. we're going to talk about that. You much more of like a highlight reel. This this movie exactly, and uh, and that's you know that's where a lot of people disagree with like how great the movies are, and and, and where we we understand that books are just better than movies in a lot of ways because we have more packed into them, and movies cannot cannot do that physically so we kind of have to rule that out when we're judging uh, how great movies are but if you you know look at ginormous books they can be ruined by movies because there's not too much time given to them but we will give a little bit of time in our next episode uh, that deals with all of this all the movie stuff and uh, as we look at uh, the the wonderful world uh, of harry potter the goblet of fire and uh, the movie ahead so thank you for listening to today's episode to support the podcast and keep the magic alive you can leave a rating and review on apple Podcasts. you can also support us financially at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash pod and to send us questions on our instagram email or website muffleauto podcast.com to continue the adventure join us next time as we discuss harry potter and the goblet of fire the movie